Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Allied Behavior, a podcast where we will explore inclusion, equity, diversity, and allyship. Today's episode will focus on becoming an ally. My name is Kimberly Dowd, and I am thrilled to be here with two exceptional women, Chelsea Lewis and Cameron Miller, who practice law with me at Littler Mendelssohn, the world's largest labor and employment law firm devoted to representing employers of all sizes in all labor and employment matters. I am the office managing shareholder of Littler Mendelssohn's Orlando office and have been practicing labor and employment law for 20 years. I manage the daily needs of the attorneys and staff in Orlando, work closely with attorneys across the firm, spearhead the Florida litigation for several national clients across various industries, including healthcare, hospitality, and retail, and partner daily with national and international clients, providing advice and counsel on a variety of employment issues. My name is Chelsea Lewis. I'm an associate in Littler Mendelssohn's Miami office. I have been exclusively practicing labor and employment law for the last six years. I identify as Black American, and our discussion of allyship is important to me because I have been personally affected by the events that have taken place over the last two years during my employment with Littler. From George Floyd to Breonna Taylor, and now to Dante Wright, it has been quite challenging to balance work responsibilities with the emotional weight associated with these events. It is my goal to inspire people outside of my community to understand the importance of effective allyship in a corporate environment. My name is Cameron Miller, and I'm an associate in Littler Mendelssohn's Charleston office. I've practiced labor and employment law for the majority of my legal career. I identify as biracial, and as a member of a multiracial family, I'm intimately familiar with the multiple perspectives related to race, equality, and lived experiences in our country. I hope to provide an alternative perspective based on my own lived experiences. Thank you both for being here with me today. In addition to being an attorney, I am a wife, a mother of two boys aged 11 and 8, a daughter, a sister, and an aunt. I identify as white, and I'm excited to take this journey with both of you so our shared perspectives and experiences can facilitate the conversations necessary to foster a deeper understanding of who and where we are, which is necessary for positive cultural change. So, without further ado, let's talk about allyship and what it means to each of us. As we all know, in today's society, the term allyship has taken on a more urgent and active meaning. However, it is often misunderstood or misused to imply good intentions, often without action or with action for unproductive reasons. For this reason, the terms ally or allyship can be somewhat triggering for those of us who have been subjected to racism, oppression, and discrimination, whether based on race, national origin, gender, gender identity, disability, or other characteristics. Informed action is important for those of us who strive to be allies with marginalized people and communities. Kimberly, prior to this first podcast, Chelsea and I challenged you to take an allyship challenge. Yes, you did. Tell us about the allyship challenge that you completed. 
Well, you were both gracious enough to let me choose the challenge. And there are several 21 day racial equity challenges out there. So I picked one. It happened to be the United Way of Greater Rochester, which had an allyship component. So I read recommended materials from the United Way of Greater Rochester that they had suggested and several others regarding allyship, which is day 18 of that challenge. Kimberly, how would you define the term ally? To me, an ally is active and purposeful in promoting and advancing support and real change to a marginalized group through focus on inclusion, equity, and diversity. We often think of this in terms of color, a white man being an ally of people of color, but it is intersectional and involves multiple categories, able-bodied people being allies for those of differing abilities or cisgender and heterosexual people being allies for the LGBTQIA community. That's a much broader definition of allyship than I think most people are familiar with. Kimberly, in completing your challenge, did you learn ways that someone can become an informed ally? Cameron, I sure did. First, listen. This journey is not about me. It is about people who have been marginalized or underrepresented. It is about listening to what you and Chelsea are saying when we talk about work, career paths, and personal lives. What are others saying on social media or in other publications? Those who desire to be true allies must start by listening. Second, get educated and get involved. Read, watch documentaries and films, get trained, but it takes more than one movie or one training to be an ally. Join social justice groups, take on the struggle as your own. Intervene, do not turn a blind eye. With the person's permission, intervene when someone is being targeted, whether that's physical or verbal abuse. Focus on support of the person rather than confrontation with the aggressor. But if you can safely and in a productive way, point out the behavior to the aggressor, which leads us to speak up and show up, even if you are scared. Martin Luther King Jr. said, a man dies when he refuses to stand up for that which is right. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for justice. A man dies when he refuses to take a stand for that which is true. Perhaps some of us have never truly lived. Now is the time to act. Don't hide behind empty promises. Instead, stand up. Start with a family member or a friend who says something ignorant or hateful. Maybe you feel comfortable talking to a stranger when you see problematic behavior. Regardless, silence is no longer an option. If you are invited to an event, go. Follow an underrepresented group on your social media platform to not only broaden your perspective, but extend the group's reach. Those are great suggestions, Kimberly. What are three concrete ways that you can put those suggestions into practice in your daily life? Sure. Chelsea, being an ally is a lifetime imperfect journey. An ally must get comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations. I mentioned earlier, I am a mother to two boys, not just a boy mom, but a white boy mom. Without question, I must open this dialogue with them, expose them to past and current events, and educate them on how to be true allies. It is never too early to start. As an office managing shareholder, I have a wonderful platform to speak up, show up, practice amplification, and transfer the benefit. This may be a humbling experience for some. We are human, 
and everyone will make mistakes as we navigate these turbulent waters. But a true ally remembers this is greater than one person. Do not get defensive. If there is a misstep, apologize, change the behavior and carry on. I tell my boys have an open mind and a happy heart. That works here too. Now, Kimberly, you mentioned apologies. Let's discuss that a bit more as some people believe that post-racial event apologies can often ring hollow. First off, any apology should be heartfelt and genuine. Do not apologize just to apologize. It's also important that an apology is coupled with a willingness to address the behavior that led to the apology. It is understandable that people will make missteps along the way to becoming an effective ally. What is important is that those missteps are promptly addressed and considerations are made to avoid those missteps in the future. Yes, to both of your points, Cameron and Chelsea, look, through this process, many people will be trying to look through someone else's eyes for the very first time. We may do or say the wrong thing, but we cannot let that end the conversation. So everyone involved must be patient, apologize for our own mistakes from the heart, timely, but at the right moment for the person receiving it with no buts, no defenses, no pretenses. If we do this right, perhaps there will be forgiveness. We have to all stay focused in the right direction. Good point, Kimberly. Are there other ways that you can implement being a true ally? Yes, Chelsea. Through the challenge that you all gave me, I also learned to stay engaged. Never is it more important than now to follow through. Many of the challenges are 21 days because that seems doable, right? There are studies out there that say it takes 21 days to form a habit. Other studies say 66 days on average for a new behavior to become automatic. Still others say up to 254 days, but here, not so fast. Chelsea, you have been black roughly 11,315 days, your entire life. Cameron, you have been biracial for roughly 13,870 days, your entire life. My LGBTQIA family and friends for as long as they can remember. If I want to earn my A and be a true ally, I have to walk the walk, talk the talk, put in the time every damn day. No timeouts, no breaks, and there are several ways to stay engaged. Through these conscious conversations, we're starting through this podcast, supporting minority-owned businesses and local organizations, donating to causes supporting racial justice systemically more than once on an ongoing basis. Kimberly, what are some tips that you would give to others to become an ally? Cameron, I would say welcome discomfort as an opportunity to grow. When we are on a wellness journey, making our bodies healthier or stronger, we push ourselves in those moments we think we can't go any further, do any more, add any more weight, take another step, or pedal the bike one more stroke. I know you know what I'm talking about, Cameron. Here at this journey, which can be mental, spiritual, moral, we have to set a place at the dinner table, at the empty chair at the end, and invite the conversation of why is this happening? What is my part in it? How am I going to change the outcome to dismantle oppression? Talk to your children about racism, gender equality, sexual orientation. Teach them the violence and discrimination against those who are different than them cannot be tolerated. Call out microaggressions, which are subtle, indirect discriminations, but can be very hurtful. For example, 
denying individual racism by saying, I'm not a racist. I have several black friends. Teach people word choice on so many levels matters. That is great advice, Kimberly. I have another question for you. How do you turn allyship into action in your workplace? Sure. As we've been talking about today, real change is hard. Many people are not courageous enough to hold up a mirror and take a long, honest look at their past actions and habits. But that really is the first step for all of us. Many companies rolled out trainings on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and unconscious bias or implicit bias over the last year. This is also an important step. Remember, not all leaders have been part of an inclusive leadership team and may not know how to model one, put one together, or lead one. It takes much more than one training session or best practices discussion, although those are necessary tools in the toolbox. Coaching and guidance in that regard is actually really important, so workplace leaders know how to foster a safe environment where people feel empowered to change as necessary and others are comfortable being their true, authentic selves. Companies should also look for and cultivate leaders who value inclusion, whose leadership skills embrace service and collaboration. Often, this comes in the form of a top-down approach because to work a paradigm shift must be an organizational goal supported by the top brass. But we can practice this leadership model in smaller work groups, encourage diverse talent within a team in the way we assign work or interact with clients and customers. We all must be willing to make the commitment and reprioritize to put the time in even though we are busy. Those with a seat at the table can also start recommending other qualified diverse individuals take their place. So I've done a lot of talking but what can also be really informative for our listeners is to also hear from you, Cameron and Chelsea. So I wanted to ask you, do black people or others from oppressed, underrepresented or underinvested communities need allies? So I can answer this question based on my own opinion and experience, because it's important to keep in mind that black people and underrepresented communities are not a monolith. I believe it's crucial for me as a black female in a predominantly non-black environment to have effective allies and not just people who want to label themselves as allies because it's a hot topic. We will talk about what effective allyship looks like a bit later on. Kim, I couldn't agree more. Just like Chelsea just stated, while I cannot speak for all marginalized populations, I do believe minority groups need genuine allies. The more informed and inquisitive our world is, the better. People are often afraid of what they do not understand. Part of increasing that comfort level starts with being an ally and taking the time to understand the experiences of folks who do not look like them. Cameron, earlier Chelsea explained why allyship is important to her. Why is allyship important to you? Well, Kim, I think it provides context to our colleagues in the workplace. Each of us experiences life differently, and despite our education and accolades, all of your black colleagues do not experience life in the same way that you do. The fact that I'm an attorney doesn't exempt me from being a racial minority. That perceived privilege of being an attorney doesn't allow me to escape the implicit bias that permeates the workplace. My education and background have afforded me a comfortable life, but those privileges simply create a landscape that describes my experience and that landscape is different than it is for my colleagues. Having strong allies in the workplace allows me to bring my entire self to work 
and feel comfortable with who I am. It's exhausting to constantly second guess yourself at work simply for being who you are. So accepting the place of allies in this discussion, what does it mean to each of you for someone to be an effective ally? Well, for me, an effective ally is someone who not only talks to talk, but walks the walk. Being an ally doesn't necessarily mean that you fully understand what it feels like to be a part of an underrepresented group. It means that you are willing to take on the struggles felt by these underrepresented groups as your own. It's impossible for me to cast away the weight of my identity. I carry that weight every single day. And an ally understands that that weight is something that affects my daily life, is willing to learn how that weight can affect my daily life, and is willing to carry that weight too. Kim and Chelsea, I believe that an effective ally is someone who listens with the intent of debiasing their own world. An ally steps up and addresses incivility and wrongs that they observe in their daily lives. I honestly view allyship as simply being a good person. If everyone in the majority would take that small step, imagine the progress that we could make in making sure that all voices are heard and given equal weight and consideration. There's an acute disadvantage that some people experience that others are completely unaware of simply because they do not experience life in the same way. So what I think I hear from both of you is, if you want to be an effective ally, you need to hold the mirror up and look into it and not shy away from what you might see in that mirror, but embrace it. And it's in those moments, those hard moments, don't look away, don't put the mirror down, don't give up. But we've talked a lot about the length of this journey. Missteps are bound to happen and quite frankly should be expected. We've also spoken about apologies. What's the best way to go about resolving mistakes along the way? Great question, Kimberly. Uh, for me, it's simple. Take ownership of your actions. If you hurt someone based on your words or actions, take ownership of that fact and work to ensure that the offending behavior does not happen again. Let's be honest, we are all on a learning journey. Mistakes happen, and when they do, they should be promptly addressed via a conversation and an apology if necessary. As I mentioned before, it's not just about the conversation. It's about addressing the behavior that led to the apology in the first place and working to make sure that it does not happen again. I couldn't agree more, Chelsea. I believe the best way to go about resolving them is to have the uncomfortable conversations. For the ally, that might be having an open mind and being receptive to learning without becoming defensive. For those in marginalized communities, that might mean extending grace to folks when it is clear that their heart is in the right place, while understanding that it is not your responsibility to do the work for the majority. So we've talked about a lot of important concepts today. As we begin to wrap up the discussion, let's provide our listeners some takeaways from the conversation. Sure, Kim, a few points I'd like to make here. First, allies should allow the marginalized persons in their lives to be themselves. Do not expect them to act or react in the way that you would in any particular situation. Next, I'd suggest stripping away the emotion and acting on teachable moments instead of ruminating about them after the fact. A third tip I'd offer, don't tokenize the marginalized individuals in your life. Cameron, I could not agree with you more. 
Here are some do's and don'ts. Do engage in active listening. The only way to truly serve as an effective ally is to listen to the group or groups that you are trying to serve. Next, do the work. Allyship is not just about calling yourself an ally. It's important to do the work and challenge yourself to have the uncomfortable conversations. Finally, don't expect others to do the work for you. Use the tools and resources that we all have access to to educate yourself on becoming an effective ally. Cameron and Chelsea, those are insightful points. My takeaway would be allies must practice amplification. For example, if you're sitting in a meeting and someone's brilliant idea or comment has been glossed over, don't take credit where credit is not due. Instead, use your privilege to lift someone whose voice has been silenced or who hasn't yet learned to use it. Raise your hand, acknowledge the person by name, and repeat the idea or statement and support it with your validation. Well, Kimberly, amplification is something that all of us can do and implement into our daily practice. I know when we first discussed this podcast, we talked about how many people don't know how to start conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion, either because they're embarrassed or they think it's unnecessary or may even fear being attacked. So to help facilitate this process, we thought it would be fun to start podcast challenges for ourselves and for you out there, our listeners. So given the current events in our country, here is our first podcast challenge talking about race. So listeners, how often is a conversation about race met with silence or does it create division? Why does this happen? Many have been taught race is not an appropriate topic of conversation, which has made thinking about race and talking about race feel taboo. Some may not feel equipped to articulate their feelings or think that they have nothing to add to the conversation. So taking this challenge will help us all build skills to move our community forward through conscious conversations. There are a few options for our first challenge. The first option is to Google and read three ways to get started talking about race at work. The second option is to Google and watch intergroup anxiety. Can you try too hard to be fair? And finally, you can try a personal reflection. Ask yourself these questions from the Talking About Race online portal of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. First, when were you first made aware of your race? Second, what do you remember from childhood about how you made sense of human differences? What confused you? Third, what childhood experiences did you have with friends or adults who were different from you in some way? And finally, how, if ever, did any adult give you help thinking about racial differences? And you overachievers out there can do all three options. We will take these challenges along with you. So when we return in our next podcast, we can discuss what we learned and experienced how we can all start and continue to participate in conscious conversations with our families, friends, and coworkers, and reflect on how these conversations can support informed and effective allyship. This process is daunting and we may not like it, 
but it is the hardest moments that are the most important. Please don't put the mirror down. Get comfortable with the uncomfortable and stick with us. Thank you all so much for listening. If we share our eyes, then we can open our hearts and minds. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.